Student veterans at Columbia are reporting delayed payments guaranteed to them by the GI Bill. Some payments total to around $2,000. What are the repercussions of these delayed payments and why weren't students paid on time? That and more. Published since 1973. I'll give my life for this cause, and I will die for this cause. This is Chronicle Headlines. You know, I, I have most of my bills taken out automatically on the first. You know, pretty much everything except for my rent. And I don't, I don't live paycheck to paycheck, but I'm not far, far off from that. You know, when I got up Friday morning and that money hadn't gone through and all my bills had been taken out, you know, I was overdrawn. Nick Novak served in the Navy from 2007 to 2013. Novak is currently a senior audio design and production major and one of the student veterans at Columbia who reported their payments guaranteed to them in the GI Bill were delayed. Novak was expecting his paycheck the first, but did not receive it until five days later. His paycheck would have helped him pay for rent and other utilities. And this past December, you know, with expenses for Christmas, and then I had some other expensive come up, come, expenses come up that were pretty significant. So, like, I, you know, I didn't have any kind of wiggle room at that time. So, you know, when I got up Friday morning and that money hadn't gone through and all my bills had been taken out, you know, I was overdrawn. You know, so I ended up having to, to borrow money just so I wouldn't get charged overdraft fees. It's been, you know, five, four or five days now. And the only money that I've spent since then has been like five bucks that I put into, into gas so I could, you know, drive to work and drive to school. Even though he went less than a week without his payment, his budget got extremely tight. Yeah, I can't, I can't afford to spend more right now. Um, you know, not until this comes through and then I don't get paid from my normal job until, until the 7th or 8th, typically. And, and I still haven't even paid my rent for this month, but I'm very fortunate to have, you know, my, my landlords are, you know, they're very flexible with us, which I'm very, you know, very thankful of. You know, they know I'm good for the money. You know, they've always told me, you know, if you don't have it this month, just give us an update. Just let us know what's going on. I'm fortunate for that because I know not everybody is in that kind of situation. So if you didn't have uh, landlords who were as understanding, would you have been charged some sort of late fee for not getting your rent in on time? Oh, yeah, definitely. The um, the apartment that I lived at uh, before I moved into my current place a few years ago, you know, if you were if you were 12 hours late, they charged you 100 bucks. This interview was recorded Tuesday, February 5th. Since then, Novak has received his money and will be able to help support his girlfriend and his six-year-old. You know, this money while I'm in school is, it's the most reliable money I have. You know, I work full time, but, you know, how much I get paid, you know, because part of, part of what I, you know, part of my job I'm making on commission. Um, so, you know, I always have a rough idea of how much I'm going to make, but I don't know an exact dollar amount for month to month. I'd like to welcome in former Chronicle staff reporter and current content producer at Frequency TV, Jermaine Nolan, to the studio. And... Jermaine, you served in the Navy, is that correct? Yes, I served in the Navy as an air traffic controller for five years. Okay, so you have a lot more experience with this stuff than I do. So when you're relying on a check or you need it to come in at a certain time, and if it gets delayed or it doesn't come in at all, what are some negative implications of that? Right, so my example would be, um, so generally you get your check on the 1st and the 15th, 
um, and most people pay their rent on the first. So uh, my experience was I was expecting my check on the first. It didn't come to the sixth. So I don't know many people who have lenient landlords or, you know, someone that can loan them money for five days. But that can put you in a real big bind if you just can't pay your rent because you don't have money and you don't know when it's coming. So in this recent string of checks that came in delayed or whatever, that happened to you as well? Yes, yes. This Well, so it, this happened last semester as well. Um, I wasn't affected then, um, but this semester I was. Um, and it's just, a, I think it's just like a paperwork processing understaffed issue at the VA. Mm -hmm. That's the only thing that makes sense. The Chronicle reported December 10th that a VA glitch also caused mispayments to some student ve veterans, as Jermaine mentioned. But when we're thinking about the VA and something that, you know, something that gets skipped, you just talked about maybe they're a little understaffed and you're kind of speculating and guessing through what you know. Mm -hmm. But is it super common that a payment gets delayed or in the beginning of the semester you're supposed to get something and you don't? Right. So the way that it works, you have an administrator at every school who sends off your paperwork to the VA at the beginning of the semester to get you certified, saying that these are the credit hours that you're taking, um, this is how, how much your tuition is, and this is how much you'll get paid. Um, and when that paperwork gets sent off, it's generally, they say about like 10 days for it to be processed. But my experience was my paperwork got sent off on the 8th of January, and I didn't get my check until the following month. So it was over 30 days. So that's the reason why I say it's, it's possibly like staffing or just processing mm -hmm. or whatever. But, yeah, I, and it's weird that that's a general consensus that so a lot that, of times. Yeah, it's not just some fluke thing that happened now. It, oh, it's no. something you've heard that, like, the VA kind of misses payments every now and again. Yeah, yeah, they, they're kind of slow. And they're using mail. And the, So then in your experience, if you can recall, do you know how many checks you might have gotten or that may have been delayed or something that's been missed? So this was my first time that mm -hmm. it happened. Um, but every time that I hear of any veteran missing or having a delayed payment, it's at the beginning of the semester. Because that's when all the applications go mm -hmm. in, so like everyone's sending something in. Which makes sense. If they have an abundance of applications, um, it's a lot of paperwork for them to get through, but it's also something that people, a lot of people survive on. So that's kind of like a mistake or a delay that should be avoided and they should be planning for, I think. But I would like to clarify that some people thought this was, was a result of the government shutdown, but it wasn't the exact reason that these payments were delayed because uh, the VA was funded, if I'm correct. I think, Jermaine, you actually called the VA to figure out what was going on. Yes. What did they tell you? Um, so before I even spoke with someone, they have a recording saying that if you're worried about your payments, don't worry because the VA is funded through 2019. So that's like money given out, staff members kind of thing? Like staff, don't worry, health. Uh, if you need rental advice, because they do like mortgage help and like mm -hmm. loans and stuff like that. So all of those things were funded. And it's a record. I guess they had multiple inquiries about it. So, so they had the pre-recorded message. Yeah, yeah. But um, when you talk to someone, they can look up your specific case and tell you where your paperwork is, when you'll get paid, how much you'll get paid. And when you got certified, when they received your stuff. So, and they're also very friendly and they're very personable. So I don't want 
them to get a bad rap as being like bad customer service or anything. It's just that the process is very slow sometimes. Yeah, sending things through mail and all that. And mm-hmm. I was able to communicate with special programs coordinator for veteran and graduate students, Paul Loretta, who's kind of the Columbia representative mm-hmm. via email. And he even said, you know, the government shutdown didn't do anything. And if any students have questions, they should go to him because he you know, he really can't help you unless a student goes to him. Mm-hmm. I was also able to get in contact with someone from the VA, Terrence Haynes, who was a spokesperson for the VA, who sent me an emailed statement and said that housing payments can be dispersed anytime during the first week of the month. And he also made a note to call any delayed payments or anything that student veterans are claiming that happened alleged. So the VA really isn't saying that anything's been missed because you can pay anytime during the first month. Is that what you've experienced, Jermaine, that any time in the first month or they've always come on the first? Yeah, so usually um, my payments are either before the first or on the first. Um, so this is actually the first time that I've never, that I didn't have it uh, on the first. And no one said, you know what, maybe it'll come sometime in the first week. The only the only time that I got a actual date was when I called the VA myself and I spoke to a representative and then they told me like uh, my stuff was being processed and then I called back and they said it was processed and I'll receive it on this date. But there was no correspondence about uh, possible in the first week or anything. But that statement to me sounds very um, military esque. Yeah. So this is this is news to you. You didn't know this. News to me that you can get it any day in the first week, yes. But it's not news to me that they used words like can and, Mm -hmm. It's kind of that safety cushion. There's not a set hard deadline. And that's why they're quite not going so far as to say there are any mispayments. That's Mm -hmm. why they're using the word alleged. And then um, I think the rest sounds about right. Uh, Processing claims. So if you're a first-time enrollment, they say it takes 18 days Mm -hmm. for everything to be processed. If you're re-enrolling, it's 14 days. Mm Mm-hmm. And then housing allowances are paid one month after attendance in school. So if right. you were in class in January, it came out in February. Does right. that, that all seems correct? Yep, and it's all prorated. So since school started in the middle of the month, you'll get paid for the amount of time you was in school. And then the next month, you'll get the full month. Mm-hmm. Now, there was actually one more thing I wanted to touch on. Going back to the interview I did with Nick Novak, this was before he ended up getting his money. I talked to him Tuesday. The money was supposed to come Wednesday. He stayed up until midnight to get the money, run to the bank so he could pay back his girlfriend so that way her account would not be overdrawn. So that kind of had a a lasting impact on him. And even though the money is supposed to continue to come and he's been, you know, the VA said they are funded, he's still going to take precautionary measures to ensure that he is budgeted properly in the future. I'm definitely going to make sure that I, you know, I'm not spending any, any more money than I need to this month, you know. Just in case a, a situation does uh, does like this, yeah, does happen like this next month, you know, because again, like I, you know, I have a family that I that I need to take care of, and what money that I'm expecting to have isn't there, you know, that can that can have some very serious repercussions. So, Jermaine, I want to go back to some of the stories we heard in the beginning about Nick Novak and having to do what he did so that way he had enough money, you know, just in case or for the future. But when we hear these stories, you know, only spending a couple dollars a week just on gas or trying to borrow money from someone else, is that something in your experience you've heard of often when these payments don't come through on time? 
Yeah, so um, before I even joined the Navy, my plan was I was going to go do my time and then get out, use the GI Bill to go to school. And if I was if I had to take an unpaid internship or a job paying something that wouldn't give me the the most money, but I'll have a lot of experience and build my portfolio, I would be able to because I have consistent money coming from the VA and from the government. So if I was to be in a situation where I miss two checks or I miss a paycheck and I have a job paying maybe, you know, like $300 a week, but I'm, I have a dynamite portfolio because of my job, I still wouldn't be able to really survive or I wouldn't be able to uh, live in the way that I should be able to live because I would just be paying my rent, paying my bills, and then hoping for money from the government soon. Well, and that's not too all too uncommon where people expect to get the money so they budget their life around it. Are, mm-hmm. Depending on whether you're in school or not in school, that could be up to $2,000. It could be pretty big amounts, right? Yeah, so it depends on where you go to school and it depends on how many credits you're taking. Um, because you get the cost of living for the zip code that your school is in. So if you go to school in downtown Chicago, that's a pretty penny. So um, imagine budgeting $2,000 a month and then it just not being there. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. now you you have to figure it out. Jermaine, is there anything else we should talk about for this story? The VA is awesome. The VA does a million mm-hmm. things for people. Um, It's just that when it comes to money, that's a very touchy subject, and a lot of veterans that are in school, sometimes they miss their payments. Jermaine, thank you for coming in. Thank you. The VA also recommends any student veterans who have delayed payments and are experiencing financial hardships should contact the Education Call Center at 1-888-442-4551. That's all for this story, but stay tuned for more. As a follow-up to our graduate program story, I'm going to talk to you about the Faculty Senate that was held on February 8th. President Dr. Kim and Vice President of Enrollment Michael Joseph made an appearance to discuss a number of enrollment issues and plans. One topic that was discussed was the plan for new programs in order to bring more students in and keep students here, including the graduate programs. We're here today to present to you the ideas of how we think our first growth phase will get the college from where we are right now, which is about 6,800 plus students, to a steady enrollment of 8,000. We think that at 8,000 students, there's a very different level of financial security and sustainability for the institution. The only thing, the last thing I want to say is 8,000 is not necessarily a final number. It's the number that we're targeting as Columbia will be a much more comfortable place to be at 8,000 students. That's also, as we approach 8,000, will be the moment we can ask the next stage questions about where are the next new areas of growth. Um, So there's no final cap. We're just trying to get to the college to the next level. It's very important because this is the fundamental strategy of my administration at this point is to declare openly and engage in a conversation college-wide about what this means, how it's going to work, how all of us have to be part of this to make it work. I know that we have been faulted over the years for sometimes having good ideas, sometimes not so good ideas, but a consistent pattern of 
announcing an idea and then not following up with ongoing communication so that the community feels engaged and aware. So this is part of that process of an ongoing rollout. Michael Joseph spoke about the need to get more students enrolled at Columbia in the next few years. This is the volume business that we're in right now going forward, which is which we, we need to grow. And if we sacrifice a little net revenue per student and grow significantly, we'll see significant total aggregate net revenue, which is what we're really looking to do. Many faculty members on the Senate wanted to know what programs were in mind to continue this wanted growth. And Dr. Kim said, Michael doesn't assume at all in when he's talking about new programs that he or any of his staff know what those programs look like. So I think it's very much an invitation for the kind of conversation that maybe we haven't had for a while. Uh, Michael Joseph laid out a five-year plan as to what he hopes the enrollment at Columbia to look like, including many new programs that are wanted for the graduate program. And then we start having conversations about what's, what is, really is the ideal number and what does it mean to grow, what are the incremental costs to growing, so we start having those real conversations based on a real thing that happened. Um, so we'll all be working together on that. So just the highlights of the overall, just to cut the overall growth. It's, it's, and I've had two extremes on this. I've had people say, you're crazy. We've been losing students for 10 years. What makes us think we're going to grow? And I've had other people say, well, that's not very aggressive, Michael. What are they paying you to do? Right? So, so we've got we've to be realistic about this, I think, in terms of what the growth could be. Um, and my hope is that within two or three years, we're, we're stepping back from this plan and going, okay, maybe let's have a conversation about what 8,500 looks like. Is it the right number? If it's the right students, et cetera. Um, but we'll wait to see if we can get to that point. So we're talking about growing, you know, 1,100 students, talking to growing to 8,000. The majority of it's going to be uh, at the undergraduate level, almost all of it, and that's going to be, a lot of it's going to be right now, I'm showing it as first-time freshmen. I hope the transfer piece is actually even a little larger. Um, Retention, as I said, it's jumped up a point this past year after going up two points. We need to get it from 67 to 76 at least. Uh, you know, that's you know that's easier said than done, but it's nine points in seven years, right? So, um, and and then again, I, I don't know what that number is, but I know we're going to need some new stuff, and whether that's reengineering of existing programs, or whether that's brand new programs, or whether that's the marriage of an undergraduate program with a graduate program, so that we have entry-level five-year master's programs, where we bring traditional freshmen in, uh, as, as a, with the notion that they're going to graduate with both an undergraduate and graduate. I've had a lot of success with that in programs elsewhere. A lot, of, I'll be honest, a lot of more in the health science programs, but I think there's some opportunities here, whether it's entrepreneurship, like the final kind of master's program. Uh, but there's an opportunity. I think there's students out there who want to do that and want to get to. Although Joseph's plan was hopeful, the realities of enrollment this year and for next year are not. This is the only area where I'm actually saying right out of the gate, uh, based on what we know, that we're actually going to see a decline again this year for 2018. 2019. They've said at 257 this past fall. We're talking about being around 223. I'll be thrilled if it's higher than that, but we need to be realistic. Uh, but that needs to be pointed. I'd love for it to be We need a graduate school that's closer to 500 students. Uh, I'm showing it going to 400. Uh, that's going to need some new stuff for sure. Uh, because I, I, mean, I can just look at what we do right now, but I don't, I don't think it's going to get us to where we need to get uh, without some new things. And I, I know some work is being done in that area as well. So if you look at if you look at graduate, we're talking about 143 graduate students, or 56% increase over a seven-year period. Uh, but if we can get to that number, that that's that's a fairly you know, substantial graduate 
graduate school for us uh, to get at the bottom of our shot. I, I think we need at least three or four new programs, and I would be excited if those are entry level. So the hard thing from a business model perspective is we're the collection of almost all the units that traditionally lose money. Um, making that work is, really, work is really hard. So I think part of the new program development conversation is going to have to be what areas could we develop that are still consistent with mission that give us a little more scope? You know, the idea of what kinds of majors could Columbia develop that are what sometimes is referred to as completer majors, a more generalized major for a student who wants to be at this institution with this array, but no longer sees themselves specializing in any of the creative disciplines that we offer. To end the discussion, Graduate Council Representative Nikki Nolan spoke about the Council's progress and plans for the semester. While there was much talk about growth and new programs, there was no mention of current programs that are being shut down or that have already been shut down, like the Early Childhood Education and Dance Movement and Therapy graduate programs. Dr. Kim gave some insight as to how this development of the new programs will start. Stepping in for Blaze Mesa, I'm Kendall Polidori, staff reporter for The Chronicle. And I'm Yasmin Shika, staff reporter for The Chronicle. And today we're talking about our sex issue that came out just in time for Valentine's Day. Yeah, so staff reporter Casey Watt wrote the story, Rejection, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Staff members and students talking about their rejection stories. So what were some of your favorites that you read, Yasmin? Yeah, so from the staff, personally because I know them, Fernanda's was really interesting. Fernanda's a graphic designer on the team. Um, hers said, I dated a guy when I was 15. He was a little older, like 18, and he broke up with me. A couple of years later, he asked me out again, and I said, no, I don't want to see you again. He said he felt bad about how we ended, and he'd like to potentially get back together. I said no, and something snapped in him. He said, I bled on your front porch. I got stabbed at a party, and I went to your house, but I didn't... But I didn't live there anymore, he continued to say. I had to call 911 and I got arrested. It was true because I did get a call from him when I was in when he was in jail. I don't know, I'm sorry. I blocked him and never talked to him again. Can we just talk about <laughs> Let's just, just talk about this one, Yasmin. What what would you do if that was you? I mean, like, she needs a restraining order against yeah, him. I think that's the smartest decision in this. I just I don't I mean, I'm all for a man going above and beyond for a woman, but man, this This guy, was a little too much. This is like... Especially since, like, was it years that they didn't talk or months? Yeah, so she it was said... years, right? Yeah, she said she was 15 and he was 18 when they met, and that it was a few years down the line. Okay, yeah, that's just a little too intense. Like, what would you do in that kind of a situation? Um, probably call the police, yeah. Well, he was already in jail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. It's it's weird. I, I can't even imagine, like, what went through her mind in that exact mm -hmm. instance. Like, is this guy serious? He's seriously in jail? And like, she's just a teenager, too. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. Fernanda, you need a restraining order because that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, what was another one that was your favorite? Yeah. So, Blaze Mesa. Should we not use Blaze? Because he's, like, a Yeah, person. he's a different yeah, okay. So then we will use... Bridget is a staff reporter on... Um, Bridget is a staff reporter for the Chronicle, and she said, In the summer of 2017, I matched with this guy on Tinder, and we went on a date. I remember following up after the date. I was texting him. I always try to figure out what these Tinder boys are up to. He was casually like, 
well, I'm taking this math class in the summer and it's really stressful. I don't think at this time in my life I can, I have enough time to dedicate to a relationship. In conclusion, a boy picked calculus over me. Mm. That's sad. (laughs) Honey, you dodged a bullet. (laughs) Because let me tell you, any man that isn't going to put forth effort to be there with you is not a man at all. It's so true. Let him take calculus. Yeah. You have a bigger brain. Right. And I don't I don't think I'd be too upset about that one. That one's that one wasn't too like too bad, you know? Yeah. It was but, their first date, yeah? Yeah, she said it was a Tinder boy. I oh, mean, okay. I don't really know how Tinder like how does Tinder work? I said, I don't know how Tinder I've works. Never downloaded the app, so <laughs> I I honestly don't even know what it looks like. Yeah, I mean I wanna actually see what this app looks like. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah. Everything I've heard about it though hasn't been like Great. I don't know. I just I, th- I guess people have different opinions about it though. What's your view on like dating apps? Because I personally I don't <laughs> I don't really care for them. Uh yeah, no, not at all. I don't know if it's cause I'm in a relationship or I don't know. Even when I was single, I don't think I would ever go on a dating app. Yeah, I just feel like it's a place for like stalkers to yeah, meet people. It's I scary. Mean, it's I mean scary. if it worked for you, good <laughs> you job. Go. I'm we, proud of you. Yeah, like I am happy for you. Send us an, a wedding invitation, but actually yeah. don't do that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I just don't think I would find somebody on a dating app. Yeah, so sophomore Lindsay hands uh Lindsay okay sophomore Lindsay Hampton said all the way back in middle school on Valentine's Day I made origami hearts and each one had a separate message on them for this guy I was super into I figured um I figured out his class schedule and found a friend in every single class to give him the or to give him an origami heart each period I was going to meet up with him during lunch the last heart said meet me here and he never showed Aww. that just broke my heart Okay, that was a really sad one. <laughs> oh my god, middle school is like that awkward stage yeah. for everybody. So I can, but it's also like the most scarring stage for everyone. Yeah, middle school is probably the worst years of your life. Let's be real. <laughs> I mean, I feel so bad. Like I want, I would have imagine somebody making you an org. Like who even knows how to make those? I know. Like <laughs> those are Poor so girl. complex to make. Maybe she can make make one for somebody this year, and it'll be. Even better. Yeah, everyone. Lindsay is really crafty. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) All right, that's about all the time we have. Thank you, Yasmin, for talking to us about the sex issue. Yeah, it was such a pleasure. Chronicle Headlines is produced and hosted by Blaze Mesa, Yasmin Chica, and Kendall Polidori. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Chronicle Headlines. You can check out all these stories and more in our print edition available on campus on our website, ColumbiaChronicle.com and our additional coverage on social media. We are at CC Chronicle on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, and The Chronicle on Facebook and YouTube. Chronicle Headlines is made possible with the collaboration of the staff of the Columbia Chronicle and WCRX, Chicago's Underground, under the leadership of the chair of the Communication Department of Columbia College Chicago, Suzanne McBride. We'll see you all next week.